You found this podcast probably because you know a little bit about our ministry called Time of Grace and our passion about connecting people to God through all kinds of media. Well, did you know that we do a lot more besides just television and podcasting? If you check out our website, timeofgrace.org, you're going to find tons of ways to learn about the good news of Jesus, from daily written devotions to daily video devotions, tons of podcasts, blogs, our Bible basic series called Bible Breath, and books and books and resources and more resources to help you in your walk with God. So if you're interested in any of that, just go to timeofgrace.org. Well, hello, everyone. Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited. We have Amber Elby Swenson back. And actually, Amber, you don't know this, but before we hit record, I was working on a jingle for you. I can't wait. Let's hear it. <laughs> well, I, didn't, I didn't say it was ready. I'm, oh. I'm still workshopping it with various audiences of my daughter's stuffed animal. So it sounds like it's Amber Elby Swenson. But... I don't know. I'm not the music I'm guy. Glad you're what do you think? And not in advertising. <laughs> we would you sell think that was good? nothing. No, I think I, it's wonderful. It's phenomenal. I just picture I never put people down. People liking and sharing more than they ever have after your jingle. So I, sh- I can just hear a mom saying, "Everyone, be quiet. Amber's about to come on." <laughs> Children. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the that's the reaction most people get when they <laughs> see and hear me. Quick, run. All right. All right. Yeah, I don't know if, if yeah, if you're listening, if you can send in your own jingle for Amber, I would be all ears to that. I bet your husband would have a few suggestions to that. Actually, my husband is a drummer. I think I may have told you that a percussionist. So yeah. he would probably do phenomenal. <laughs> all right. Well, next month. That's what I'm expecting. So give him his homework. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Well, we're working on the jingle. We're happy to have Amber back on another behind the series. And This month on the program, we're going to talk about Jesus's growth plan for me. So cool to think about the God who makes things grow actually has a plan for the way that he does it. It's what he wants, spiritual growth of faith and peace and kindness and joy. So in this series, we're going to look at a bunch of different stories or parables that Jesus taught. And uh, Amber, I thought you and I could dive into four of those particular messages and just kind of think about spiritual growth and what it looks like to mature as a Christian. Yeah, for sure. So this series is called Jesus Growth Plan for me. The first message was called, what are the threats to my faith? And I think it would be helpful for people if you would just, first of all, explain the parable of the sower and Mm. particularly the different types of soil. So people kind of know what we're talking about. Yeah. So I actually wrote a a big substantial book about this. So a phenomenal book. Cut cut me off if I ramble on a bit. (laughs) So yeah, I'll try to keep it short. Jesus tells this story that this guy sows out, uh, goes out and he sows seed and it falls in all different spots on a hard path, on rocky soil, on kind of weedy, cluttered soil and on good soil. And even though the seed is the same, the results are different depending on what soil it falls on. And so Jesus kind of explains this like our hearts. It's the same word. It's the same gospel, same church service, but wow, it, it produces different things in people. For some people, it works wonders and changes their lives. For other people, it does nothing because the devil snatches it up. For other people, it kind of starts to grow, but that withers. And for other people, man, they want it to, but it's just like too too busy and chaotic in their lives. And so I found this like a really insightful story from Jesus of, you know, how is it possible that you can go to church or listen to podcasts like this one or sing along to Christian radio or do your devotions at home? And yet, sometimes you grow and sometimes you don't. I think Jesus' story is a great explanation of that. 
Yeah, great explanation. So the question then is, I remember probably reading that parable five or more years ago. And in my Bible next to the parable, I wrote, um, Lord, help me to have, you know, a fertile heart. Let me produce fruit for your kingdom. Mm. So how do we make sure that our hearts are fertile ground? If that's what we want, I mean, nobody sets out to want to be the weedy soil. Mm. You know, we don't want to be the hard packed soil so that God's word can't get in. And so many times it's not a matter of us consciously thinking, oh, I'm going to be hard soil, you know, Mm. or I'm going to let the weeds in. We just don't consciously make sure we're not doing that. So how can we make our hearts fertile ground, both in our everyday lives? And then you would mention, you know, at church, like not, you know, you go in there, you hear a sermon. Sometimes people are like, wow, that was amazing. That really affected me. And other people are like, man, I I don't even remember what that was about. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, I was working on my jingle for Amber during the sermon, so I didn't catch, you know, what was going on. <laughs> it can happen to all of us. So, <laughs> yeah, wow, that's a that's actually a, a deep question. How do you become? Because Jesus says, "What great potential! Thirty, a hundred times what was sown can grow." So, who wouldn't want to be good soil? Um, to me, the more I thought about this story, the more it it just makes so much sense to think about my garden or the garden I used to have before I took it out because it was too much work. <laughs> Like Jesus always loves to come back to that, right? Weeds, seeds, soil. And the the reason he picked those analogies was because we can understand those things. You know, so it's a little bit too fuzzy. You know, how do I have a great faith or how do I mature in my faith? We can't see those things. But what we can see is what gets in the way of a seed growing into something big. So here's how I would try to summarize that. How do you become good soil? You trust in the power of the seed, and then you work as much as you can on your soil. So yeah, you can't leave the seed out of it. It's the powerful, power-packed word that's going to produce all this grace and, and beautiful goodness in you. And, you know, if I go out to my garden, I don't just say, wow, what an amazing seed. And I just throw it in dirt and walk away. Like I'm super intentional with that about preparing the soil, digging that little trench, pulling out the weeds, going out there every couple of days, maybe every weekend. So I, you know, maybe practically, I think what a lot of us do is we remember the power of the seed and we go to church or we open our Bibles, uh, you know, but then do we think the job is done and, you know, life's getting busy, but we don't do the hard work of pulling out the clutter and the weeds. Instead, we just think, well, maybe next Sunday I'll fix it. Mm-hmm. And so it's that tension between what God does with the seed and what we do with the soil that I think really explains sanctification and the the spiritual growth plan that God has for our lives. You know how I was mentioning um, before we started this interview that I was really loving Linda Bucks's book, uh, Visible Faith. Mm. One of the things that she does is as she's going through each of these nine spiritual characteristics, um, spiritual fruit that we can produce, she asks you to examine your life and see what you're doing well So how are you really living this out? But then of course, she also says, and how do you stink at this? Mm. You know, and I think what you just said, it's that process of examining your life and Mm. actually taking the time to go, you know, I'm not as patient with my children or my Mm -hmm. husband. I can be Mm -hmm. super patient with my coworkers. But when it comes to my husband asking a simple question, like, Hey, are you packed and ready to go? And I'm like, ah, 
you ask me a question? You know, like you can see I'm busy. So I think, I think that examination and a lot of times mm. when we read the word, we don't take the time to examine our lives, yes. but a tool like a book or, you know, something like that, that really asks us to stop, yes. examine where the weeds are coming up so yep. you can deal with the weeds yep. that can be really helpful to pull the weeds to have that fertile soil. Yeah. Yeah. You're spot on. Yeah. If, if tomatoes weren't growing in the garden, we'd, we'd stare at it for a while and wonder, well, what's going wrong? Right. Are there bugs in here? Are the bunnies getting, do I have to put up a fence? Do I, am I getting lax on my weeding? Like we would analyze the problem and we'd change something to have a better outcome. But I wonder if that's like, do we think intentionally about our spiritual lives that way? Because the new Testament is all about that. You know, Paul is saying, I'm training my spiritual life. I'm training. Like I'm trying to win first place. I mean, he was a guy who was all about grace, right? He, he knew he wasn't earning his way to heaven. But when he thought about his spiritual growth, he wasn't just like, you know, Jesus, take the wheel. I'm going to take a nap in the back seat and I'll see you in glory. Like he was, he was pushing to fight against temptation and love people and step up to God's mission. So, yeah. I, you know, there's that tension too. We're not putting a burden, like you have to save yourself. You better work harder. Yeah. But we're also saying, let grace compel you to do the work so that you can grow in your maturity because uh, the way you live and the way you love people really does matter. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so one of the things that you talked about is a big threat to our faith for all of us as pride. Mm. And in fact, God st- states very clearly in his word that he opposes the proud. Mm. So if pride sabotages our faith, then what are some good ways that we can stay hum- humble and be on our guard so that pride doesn't sabotage our faith? Yeah. I'm glad you asked me this question, Amber, because I am super humble, really, really good at it. For years, I have have been praying for you. You know that. (laughs) Like the prayer that I send to you most often is like, I'm praying for humility for you. I know. I read that you emailed me what yesterday, today. I'm like, oh man, I think, I think I'm happy that she's praying for me, but. But you know why? Because I want you to have the most effective ministry that you can have. And someone in your position who. Sometimes, I mean, you do get the emails that are like, man, that sermon stunk, or why did you say that? But you also get a lot of people going, great message, Mike. I love what you're doing, blah, 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 blah. And anybody who's put in that elevated status, you know, it, it's easy. It's an easy thing to think it's you versus God. Yep. And, and I'm not praying it because I think you're a worse person than anybody else. I, I want you to have the most <laughs> effective ministry that you can have. Yeah. So I want you to be as humble as you can be so that God can use you. Yeah. Thank thank you. That tangent was appreciated. I do. <laughs> and and I, I, I jest and I joke, but yeah, that is for a thousand reasons, my, my nature, my situation that has been a, a frequent struggle. So I got to pull up those weeds too. So I do appreciate your prayers. Um, yeah. Your, your question, how do you, how do you overcome pride? How do you stay humble? Um, in the parable of the sower, you know, Jesus says, Pride is what happens when you harden your heart and you you just don't want to understand the word. You don't want to dig into it because you, you kind of have this sense that it's going to mess with you. So a diagnostic question that I like to ask is, is there any doctrine in the Bible that you don't want to hear about? Hmm. Like, even if it's in the Bible, like if, if like, hey, everyone, we're going to have a six week Bible study on fill in the blank. Like, is there anything like, hey, hey, ladies, gather around. We're gonna we're gonna dig deep into every passage on submitting to your husbands, and you're gonna be more submissive than ever. You know, to, are there things where like no, no, 
no thank you like even if even if you're quoting the book i just don't want to get that or husbands loving their wives or the way we speak about the government or forgiving people who have hurt us i think that's where that's where pride it like gets the defenses up and so we're in church but to quote jesus we don't have ears to hear the things we're hearing in church the the sermon or the reading is just going to ping off of a a stony heart and it's not going to find a humble heart that says, God, this is hard, but you're God and you know better than I do. Yeah. And you're a good God who wants what's best for me. And so even if this challenges or changes me, even if I have to say sorry to a hundred people, like this is good for my soul. And so I just think, you know, keeping notice when the arms start to cross, you know, physically or just uh, spiritually. And pay attention and just bring that to God and remember he's, he's a good God. He's not trying to mess with you. He's trying to bless you even in this teaching. And I would add to that, pay attention to the mountains you're willing to die on. That's been mm -hmm. my, that's almost always where I can find my pride when I'm like, no, I'm going to stand my ground on this because this is a better direction or this is right or whatever. And notoriously God is so good being patient with me and over the course of the next two to three weeks, gently showing me that I am wrong <laughs> and that mountain is not worth dying on. And, and oh. so maybe you don't, you're not consciously again saying, I, I'm not going to listen to that, or I don't want to hear about submission or whatever, but maybe you think you're right. Mm. And, um, yep. If you allow God to work and to speak to you through his word and through sermons and through so many different things, yeah, he, he will gently go, you know, maybe, uh, maybe not, man, this is hitting home. I've had, I had two amazing ideas that I kind of persuaded our church staff to carry out in the past few months. And, and both of them totally bombed. Like, I'm like, oh man, I was so convinced. Like, trust me, everyone this is going to be great. <laughs> you know, and then the things you're so passionate about, it's like, well, yeah, about that. We are, we're doing this series on Esther that we're calling God's Odds. And mm -hmm. we're thinking, you know, what are the odds that all this stuff happens and God saves his people? And so I came up with a bunch of games that we could play in the lobby. Like, what are the odds you could you could roll a dice and get a six three times in a row? What are the odds you could flip this coin and get heads, you know, five times in a row? And, you know, the first week, of course, someone comes and one of our volunteers that we kind of muscled into doing this, you know, asked this guy, hey, do you, do you want to see if you can beat the odds? And he just sternly looked and said, I don't gamble in church. <laughs> so <laughs> we had to like, like, no, okay. We're not, we're not, there's no casino in the lobby. We're not getting for free cups of coffee. So, oh man. Yeah. Pride. That, that's, that's so good for us of God. Just, just poking us in the ribs a little bit and letting those mountain moments, like you're talking about, let them fail, let, let it yeah. fall apart. Let your confidence just be smashed against like reality. That's I, th I think that's good for all of us. Yeah, that usually works for me. Hmm. Another thing you talked about is pain. You talked about pride being a threat to our, fa our faith, pain. A lot of people wither in those situations. Hmm. Um, we're not going to get through life without pain. So what is your go-to? Hmm. What have you found that you typically do in painful situations, either for better or for worse? Oh, yeah. You know, in particular, in the story of the parable of the sower, Jesus isn't talking about like, you know, you go through cancer and it's painful, or you lose a loved one and it's painful. He specifically says, this is the pain that's caused because of the word. Persecution. Yeah, this is this is persecution kind of pain. Um, I actually thought of this. So about a year ago, we had this really great community partnership 
Um, our church was helping out like a local event. It went really, really great. All of us got along super well. And then someone else from the community kind of pressured the other organization to say, well, what is, what does the core stand for when it comes to gender and sexuality? And should you really be partnering with someone who, you know, goes to the Bible for the answers to those questions? And they decided, this really kind of broke my heart, to, you know, excommunicate us in a way. Like, we can't be associated with you anymore because you hold to the Bible when it comes to all those big questions about life. Um, and I remember talking through that with a staff member and, you know, it's hard. You just want to, I wanted to be mad about it or, or frustrated. It felt unfair. Like we just went out of our way to love everyone who there was literally like a gay musician on stage in our parking lot, and like, Hey, we're going to show warmth and hospitality. And so we, we thought we loved really well. And then it got thrown back in our face. Like, no, you're not good enough to be connected with. And I remember talking to a, a coworker, um, kind of in the midst of it. And just, we, we both came to this realization. If you're going to suffer for something, suffering for Jesus is a great something. You know, if you're going to go through an uncomfortable moment with your neighbor or with your kid or with your best friend, you know, and it, it blows up, it doesn't go like you want it to. If you're driving home in the car and if you can say in good conscience, this pain that I'm feeling is because of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is such a beautiful thing to be able to think. Like, wow, now I know how Isaiah felt and Jeremiah felt and Ezekiel felt, and Daniel felt, and James felt, and Jesus felt, and John felt, and Peter felt, and Paul felt. Like, there is something that even the Bible, literally in Acts 4 and 5, they rejoice after being flogged because we just suffered for the name of Jesus. So, you know, what our church went through is 0.001% of that kind of pain. But man, it it kind of felt good. Like, thank you, God, that we weren't cowards. It, It feels good to stand up for your name, even if we wish it would have turned out differently. And I'd rather suffer for you than have a comfortable life without you. Yeah, that's good. That's good. All right, let's move on to message two, when average moments are okay. So mustard seed moments, um, mustard seed is, is it the tiniest seed or is it one of the tiniest seeds? I didn't Google it. I've heard among the seeds used in ancient Palestine, it was the tiniest, but I think Guinness Book of World Records, it is not currently the tiniest seed. Okay. So mustard seeds, tiny, tiny seed, which go on to produce a a big tree. Mm. So mustard seed moments are those seemingly tiny moments, like, like you had mentioned in the, at the start of this message, like Bible passages that people cling to. Mm. So one little tiny Bible passage that they heard somewhere along the way, or someone put in a card or, you know, that they were reading their Bible. And that passage is what got them through chemotherapy or a child dying or, you know, like, Mm. it's just a mustard seed. It's a tiny little thing. Yeah. But so these mustard seed moments are like these tiny, seemingly insignificant moments Mm. that have big results Mm. in the kingdom of God. So if you could tell us about one of those moments that might have changed the direction of your life. Ooh, I want to ask you the same question in a second. So you keep thinking, um, I think I, I don't remember it, but I was present for it. And it was the Sunday my mom took me to church after my little brother died. Oh. Yeah. So I was one years old. Um, I had a little brother named James. He was sick from the moment he was born. And six weeks after, uh, he passed, went to heaven. And, uh, you know, I hear stories of how people 
get mad at God when they lose a kid. They don't understand why this would happen. I was going to church. I was trying to be faithful. Now you take my child. My mom, thank you, Jesus. Um, she did not react that way. Um, she realized that everything was temporary, that God was her rock. And she ran back to the church and she was carrying me in her arms. So I grew up, I cannot remember not believing the gospel. And it's because of my mom. And my mom was there in church because she didn't let that moment rock her. So like she believed in the goodness of God, that little thought in her heart, even when she was so devastated. So how did I end up being a pastor? How did I end up with time of grace? Because I was going to church. Why was I going to church? Because of my mom. Why is my mom there? Because she made that decision, that crucial decision in that moment in 1981, I think, that kept me and my soul connected to the seed of God's word, which has produced you know, so many good things in my life. So yeah, I'm super grateful for my mom. Oh yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Judy Novotny. She would she she will tell you she's not a great Christian, but she's a rock star. So my mom played it actually an important part of my kind of mustard seed thing too. Um, you know Martin Luther when he had the thunderstorm that kind mm. of changed his life. He was yeah. going to be a lawyer. He was caught in this thunderstorm decided to become a monk. And from there was in the word and everything changed. I signed up for a trip to go to Vietnam at the end of my college career. Cause I had nothing but electives left. And I, I literally just had friends going. So I, I just was like, Oh, that sounds fun. And, um, never wanted to go to Asia. Never. I, my, my best friend growing up was Vietnamese. I never wanted to go to Asia never wanted to do that. And I went to a very, very liberal college. So went a million wrong ways, got all kinds of bad philosophy and still going to church, still reading my Bible, but um, went on this trip and we took off from LAX and about an hour in a businessman realized that we were leaking fuel and we would oh. never make it across the ocean. Oh, So he alerted the staff and we made an emergency landing and then they worked on the plane and sent us back up in that plane but they didn't send us over the ocean. We went up to Alaska, over to Russia and down. Got on another plane that was equally horrid. In fact, my professor said, there is no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole or on this plane. Like it was bad, <laughs> wow. everything was shaking. Wow. And it was just that series of two plane trips where my life for the first time, you know, I was like 20 years old and, you know, thought I was invincible and my life would have taken a very different drastic, you know, I was going to go to grad school. I was going to go out East. And in that series of, you know, 12 hours, I was like, okay, God, you got my attention. If you keep mm. me alive, I will serve you every day of my life. I will mm. read your word. I will figure out what you want for me. At the same time, my mom was at home and my mom was at a funeral of her aunt and she just had this dread you know, those were the before the days of cell phones and that type of thing. Hmm. She had this terrible dread that I was never coming home. Hmm. And so she just spent the entire time on the way to the funeral, at the funeral, during the funeral, until she heard my voice, praying that God would spare my life and that he would use me in his kingdom for his hmm. glory. Wow. And so, and, and it honestly, I took it seriously. When I got home, I was like, okay, like, God, I got to figure out what you want for me, hmm. like how I can serve you right here and right now you know, how I can use the talents and abilities that you've given me not to go, you know, be a best-selling author of terrible fiction, but instead, 
you know, use what I have for your glory. Wow. And, and it took me a while, but, um, wow. yeah, that was a life-changing moment for sure. Wow. 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 I have never heard that before. And I'm mm -hmm. glad you shared that. Yeah. Kind of long, but shout out, shout out to all the godly moms out there. For sure. Yeah. That's not an, an easy task, but you think of how many of those little prayers, you know, you talk about mustard seed moments, how many little prayers like yeah. God heard and responded to in powerful ways. So that's cool to think about. Mm -hmm. Okay. You made the point that God wants to be our full time King. So he doesn't want to just be like King over part of our life. And, and, you know, just, we give him one little bit of us on Sunday morning, but you, you brought up like finances and time and loving people, even asterisk people, you know, the people who aren't all that easy to love. Mm. And there are people who jump right into Christianity. Like they dive in head first and they're like, yes, Lord, whatever you want. And let me read your word. Let me figure out how to do this. There are a lot of people on the sidelines that that's really scary to think about letting God have control over all of their life. And they just sort of want to tip their toe into just mm. a little bit of Christianity so what would you say to that person who's like, I, I mean, I think I believe that God is sovereign and I think he died for my sins. I think Jesus was sent for that, but what you're asking is hard. Hmm. What, what would, what advice would you give them? Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking there's two kinds of people. There's those who are, you know, genuinely humble, but just scared. They're honestly mm -hmm. scared. And then there's people who are trying to play Jesus. Mm. Like they're trying to get the benefits and they're trying to avoid the sacrifice. So <laughs> give me, give me a scenario. Which one am I talking to right now? I think my husband was so, so I was, I was sort of the cannonball Christian. Like if, mm. if God says it, just do it. Right. Like whatever mm. that means. Mm. And my husband is more of a toe dipper. And at first I was like, you know, you just have to have the faith. Like you just have to jump in and don't mm. worry about it. But mm. I've come to appreciate how Jesus came back for Thomas. Like Jesus mm. wasn't yes. condemning. I mean, he did, he did rebuke Thomas. So I don't want to take that away, but God can meet the toe dippers, you know, mm. and be like, I get your, I get you're scared. Like yeah. I, I, yeah. I understand that. And I can walk alongside you to help you get where you need to be. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the book of Jude, there's a little line that says, be merciful to those who doubt. Mm. So yeah, that's a, maybe an ancient way of saying that toe dipper, like, Oh, I want to, I know I should, but I'm, I'm scared. I, I know I should just give this check and, you know, set up a, a gift, but I'm, I'm, what if I don't have enough? Like, wow, there's so much mercy and patience with God. He's such a good father. You know, I think of how we parent our own kids with, patience when they have an honest fear. So yeah, I'm, I'm all in on that. If, if a person is stubborn though, I got to be really honest where, you know, Jesus to such people would say, are you in or are you out? Mm. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to lend you my crown and uh, follow you around like your butler. If, if you want to follow me, I want you to, but if that's not what you want, then, then don't do it. So sell everything you have, give to the poor. He said to the rich man and follow me. So it wasn't like, well, you know, let's test this out for a little bit. Why don't you keep yeah. all your stuff? We'll, we'll add you as the 13th apostle and uh, let's see how it goes. Like, no, he drew a line in the sand and said, in the kingdom of God, there's only one king. 
And the Lord Jesus Christ is the one and only Lord. So he's not going to share his throne with you. So he's offering you something that's so worth it, but you, you need to be aware, like, yeah, this is not, Christianity is not for you to do you. It's for you to trust in Christ and follow him with your whole heart, your whole soul, your whole mind, and your whole strength. Yeah. And the, that's exactly what the disciples did, right? They left everything. They left their boats right there mm -hmm. and they followed Jesus Yeah, without a promise of, you know, it would be a good life or whatever. You just follow. Yeah. Yeah. I think we need to say that more often. I, I think yeah. that's getting lost a bit. My, my hunch, I, I'm not a good historian, but my hunch is, you know, we were so fire and brimstone as a, mm -hmm. a church culture 50 years ago, you know, it was heaven and hell repent, law, gospel. And like that got to be a, a bit heavy and there were some things that were missing from that approach. And so we kind of swung into this, you know, how can God help you when you're just feeling bad about yourself and how can he get you through the valleys and tough times of life and experience breakthroughs? And, and that's true. Like that, that's good biblical stuff. But if we're saying that at the expense of the meat and potatoes, mm -hmm. the kingdom of heaven is near repent and believe the good news. Like, Ooh, I, I just meet too many young people who have a lot of connection to the church and they don't know that. And I'm thinking, wait, wait, what? This is, I, I must've messed up because this is pretty foundational. Like you, you can't live your own truth and follow the one who claimed to be truth. So yeah, we got to balance that too between the stubborn and the scared. And that takes some, uh, uh, some, some wisdom, I think as parents and as, as church leaders. Yeah. I think that I said, I'm on vacation with my kids last week. I'm pretty sure you guys turned 14 and forgot everything I've ever taught you. So I'm definitely starting over from square one. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, I think there's so many influences in the high school and college years. And it, it's just a really important reminder for us to keep pouring into young people constantly hmm. because there is a lot vying for their affection. And I think you're absolutely dead on spot hmm. on Yeah, that um, the message of Christianity gets lost in today's culture. Mm -hmm. with a sort of glamorous Christianity, you know, yeah. you follow Christ and he'll give you the parking spot when you walk in, you know, you know, when you, you, when, you just have to pray for a parking spot. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or yeah. we can walk what, a mile. It's okay. It? We're still yeah. Christian. Where's like, where's, I picture John the Baptist holding his own decapitated head saying, seriously, <laughs> seriously, this is <laughs> Jesus called me the greatest. And this is what happened. So how, how did you get there? So yeah, there, or there's sacrifice. any of the voice of martyrs issues, right? Mm, About people yes. who literally have lost everything, their, yeah. their spouse, their house, their occupation, their, yeah, their everything, but they say, but it was worth it. Yeah. So I would true. do it all over again because what I have gained in Christ and, and we have to remember that as Americans, what we have gained in Christ is our salvation, yes. you know, and that yes. God is walking with us now. That doesn't mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're going to be able to live in the 4,000 square foot house. You know, that's not what it means. It's, yes. it's so different. So that's, that's good. Hmm. Um, you mentioned it, and I found this very ironic only because I needed to hear it too, but you know, we're, we, it's ironic that we struggle to give God control over all of our life. And yet God is saying, I will cover every part of yours, <laughs> you mm. know, like I will cover all your ugly parts. And we want that, you know, we want mm. that from God. We want yeah. God to be like, no, I am patient with you when you are ugly and I am right mm. there and I I'm going to cover all this, but we're like, ah, but I'm not going to give you, you know, that part of my life. Yeah. So it's a little bit of irony, but then I started thinking it beca because I've been with my kids for a while, 
I just started thinking about this in terms of us as parents and grandparents and pastors and church leaders and whatever, you know, it's so easy to send the text. Like, did you make it to church? Or, mm. <laughs> you know, yep. that, that church is on the corner of ninth and 12th. Make sure you get there today, you know, or, or whatever. I sent you a but Google it, map. I dropped you it, a pin. <laughs> it seems like that isn't the best way mm. to communicate because if I were to get that, I'd probably be like delete. Right. Mm. But maybe reminding our kids, our grandkids are, are the people that we've been teaching in church. Mm-hmm. Like God is for you. You know, maybe you had a lonely week at, at, at school. It's your first week of school. And I bet you're maybe a little lonely mm. tonight. I just want to remind you God's with you and, mm. and reminding them of that. Maybe the motivation that we're trying to get by using the other. Yeah. Yeah. This, this feels like a, a, another round of the carrot or the stick question, mm. you know, and, and that's not an easy question to answer. Do people need tender, gentle Jesus? Or do they need, you know, table flipping, whip in hand? You're going to pound on the door and I'm going to say, I never knew you, Jesus. Same Jesus. Yeah. You know, so I think I've said this quote before. Martin Luther said the difference between the law and the gospel, like the tough part and the tender part, is super easy on paper that even a kindergartner could figure it out. But the person who can apply it correctly to specific people deserves to be called a doctor in theology. Mm. And I have so seen that to be true. It's like, man, I, I'm trying to read the room right now and figure out, does this, does this person just need a little bit of patience and mercy and Hey, just thinking about you, hope you're doing well. Or do they need, like, you are pushing the Holy spirit out of your heart and I'm going to, I'm going to wave my arms yeah. before you drive off this cliff. Cause I love you. Yeah. Like, wow. With our friends and with congregation members, when, when do we choose one or not the other? I think that should drive us to our knees and say, Holy spirit. Like, you know, the heart, you can change the heart. I need your help. Cause I don't know what to do. Yeah. 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 So good. Lots of prayer needed for that message. Number three was why I must give up my treasures. And you use two tiny lessons from the Bible. So can you tell us about those lessons really quickly? Yeah. Yeah. So Matthew, I think this is Matthew 13, just a verse or two long. So super short story. Um, and yet somehow we pastors find a way to preach on it for 40 minutes. So who would have thought <laughs> Jesus is like, I wrapped it up. I wrapped it up in a sentence. What are you, what are you doing going on? And on? <laughs> anyway, the story is, you know, man finds this treasure hidden in a field and apparently it's so good. It's so much better than anything he has that he joyfully sells all of his possessions so that he can purchase the field. And then another version of the same story, Jesus says, a, a man is searching for pearls. He finds one of such great price. He sells everything he has with joy so he can get that one pearl. And man, that, that is such a golden story for me. Jesus is saying two things. You know, number one, mm-hmm. when you repent, you're going to have to give some stuff up, right? Control, authority, what is truth, what is good, what is bad, how do I live? But if you think that was a raw deal, like... Wow, look at how much Jesus takes from me. Man, how lame to be a Christian. All those unbelievers are having fun. Uh-uh. No, no, no. Jesus tells these short stories to say, let's not forget having God now and forever is such a, a better treasure that even if you had to give up everything you loved about life, you could do it with joy because God is infinitely better. So, oh man, that 
I find myself going back to those little parables more now than I ever have before, because it's just so great to remember how worthy and glorious God actually is. Yeah, I think this is a message that needs to be on people's playlists, because I think it's a message that we all need to hear often. Um, you, you mentioned three reasons that we don't need to be stuck feeling like our faith is heavy, you know, and then we all get to that point. There are times for all of us that our faith feels heavy when we feel left out. I mean, I have definitely felt it, you know, Hmm. I'm working with unbelievers, you know, all the time. And there are conversations I don't participate in get togethers. I'm not included in, you know, there's all kinds of things and they're all silly. You know, it's, it's nothing, Hmm. but there are times that faith can feel heavy, you know, just a little bit. So you mentioned that, um, we have God's forgiveness, God is with us and God's love is in us. But I just want to focus on the fact that God is for us. So how is that helping us to get through the times that we feel heavy, remembering that God is for us? Yeah. I like that question. Um, I was thinking, cause you sent me this question about a day or two ago. And on, when I was taking notes, I just wrote, imagine if he wasn't. Oh, I know. Right. I mean, if there are three options, either God is for you, God is against you, or God wants nothing to do with you. Wow. Like, just compare those for a second. If God, if the God who was present in the room right now and had the power to do anything he wanted to, if he, if he was against you, oh my goodness. Like, I don't even want to think about that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he was totally absent, if, you know, me, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen in five seconds. If I was totally by myself in this big world where who knows what could happen to me, who knows who could do what to me, like that would be terrifying. But if God, caps lock, knows the future, loves me, forgives me, surrounds me with good people, like isn't, you know, sovereign and providential, <clears throat> man, if that God is for Mike, whew, yeah. like don't, n- no more pity parties. Like what, what a sweet deal to be a Christian and, you know, walk every step of your life with the God of the universe by your side. That is, that is such a profound thought. And maybe you don't realize it till you compare the other options, but being a Christian is is pretty sweet. Yeah. And I think it was one of the things that I thought about as I was listening to the sermon is just the fact that Jesus had this, he -hmm. had the time in the garden of Gethsemane when what he had to do was heavy. Mm. I mean, it was extremely heavy. Like he was in anguish, we're told. And he felt the burden of walking the path that the father had for him, that he had agreed to. Mm. Um, But God was for him. Mm. How does knowing that Jesus struggled in that exact same way Mm. help us? Yeah, yeah. Have you noticed this with friends that even if you don't have the answer, if you can relate to what they're going through, that often is the answer. You know, Mm -hmm. someone has a, has a miscarriage or goes through a breakup, maybe, you know, maybe you can't promise them fertility in the future, but if you can walk by their side and say, Hey, I've, I've been there. Like there's so much, there's something powerful about that. And the book of Hebrews talks about that because Jesus didn't just stay up in heaven with a, yeah. a bullhorn shouting commands. Like he took on human flesh. He, he can mm-hmm. empathize with our weaknesses. So he's able to help us in our time of need. So, wow, how cool, not only to think because of Jesus, this suffering will end one day, 
but also right now, the Jesus who said he'd never leave me or forsake me, he, he's he's not scratching his head like, wow, I wonder what that's like. <laughs> he's like, yep, I, I get it. I, I know what it's like to be alone. I know what it's like to feel overwhelmed. I know what it's like when people disappoint you. I know what it's like when people accuse you and say things that aren't true. I know what it's like when the system fails you, when friends don't show up when you need them. Like he, to be able to see his face and just see the compassion in his eyes as he slowly nods his head. Like, wow, what a, what a sweet savior we have. Did I ever tell you about when I was in labor with my firstborn? No. Yeah, I was praying. It was pretty brutal. It was not good. And uh, I was praying. And one of the things that I was praying is, um, Jesus, this is one thing you never went through. Like, <laughs> I got you on this because you were never in labor. You do not know the pain that I'm going through right now. And I'm, I'm praying this. And it went through my head almost instantaneously. No, I just hung on the cross. <laughs> like, you think what you're going through is bad? Like, mm, carried the weight of the world. Oh, and, man. So, well, before I react, how big was the baby? Because that will determine how be nine pounds, five ounces, oh, firstborn. Okay. Even Jesus is like, well, okay, I'll maybe. I'll... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah. the point being that I realized in that moment, Jesus has gone through everything we've gone through. Mm-hmm. Like, even if he didn't have cancer, yep. he's been through pain. Yes. You know, even if he hasn't been through a divorce, yes. he knows what it is when people leave us. Yes. I mean, it. like every single instance that you could, I mean, he, he, he didn't go through the death of a child. Mm-hmm. But he wept at Lazarus' tomb, knowing yeah. he was about to raise him because he felt the weight of death. So, yeah. well and he and he came alongside the the widow of Nain because he felt the enormity of the pain of that death of that child. So, yes. you know, the, we can we can look at Jesus and go, but he didn't go through this. Yeah. Which is exactly what I was doing in that situation. I was going, but but Jesus, you haven't been here. Yep. And he he assures us. He has walked the path of being in a sinful world. He yes. has experienced our pain. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What is the Isaiah 53 prophecy? He was a man of sorrows yeah. and acquainted with grief. So yeah, he got it with Hebrew says with like cries and prayers, he called out to God. So yeah, maybe not. I like how you're saying it's not the every specific example, but the categories. Yes. Abandonment, suffering, disappointment, pain, grief, loss. He's He's experienced all those things just like we have. Yeah. Yep, for sure. Okay, message four. Why Jesus allows bad people. Um, mm. Tell us about the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Yeah, interesting parable. I never preached on this one before. It's kind of tricky, actually. Um, you know, Jesus tells the story. There's this guy who owns a field. He's trying to grow wheat. And then in the middle of the night, his enemy comes and sows some, some weeds and when the weeds pop up uh, in Israel and Palestine, there was like a kind of weed that kind of looked like weed at first. And you couldn't tell until later on when it would fully bloom exactly what it was. And when they kind of realize something is wrong, the servants of the man who owned the field say, well, we should, we should pull out all the bad weeds. And the owner says, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's, it's not that easy to tell them apart. Maybe in your fervor for getting out the bad stuff, you're going to pull out some of the good stuff. So why don't we just wait? There's going to be a time when it's going to be really clear what's good, what's bad, what's weeds, and what's wheat. And at that time, we'll sort it out. And this is one of those stories that Jesus explains that the we're talking about people. 
weeds and wheat. We're talking about waiting until the judgment day. We're talking about how you kind of know who's in and who's out, who's going to heaven, who's going to hell. And Jesus kind of puts a, a caution, flashing yellow light. Be careful, be careful, be careful. You might think you're judging the bad people, but maybe you're judging one of the good people. Yeah, I had even, you know, read this message and I screwed up twice. Once hmm. just today, I was outside working outside for a little bit and uh, walked in front of my husband's beet patch. And I was like, there is this huge weed there. Why has he not picked it? So of course I lean over and pick it and the beet comes out with the no. weed. And I was like, oh, right. That's <laughs> why he hadn't picked it. And then I had yes. planted some grass seed last year and I have paid zero attention to it because it came up last year. It looked great. And it was green this year. And I don't, I haven't been mowing because I have been working and I went out there and there was like this little viney weed that has taken over and killed like a huge patch of my grass seed. But because it was green, mm. I just assumed it was the grass. Wow. So I had to get down and like, I'm like, where'd I, mm. what? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, brought wow. this parable right to life for me. Wait, wait you guys grow beets. I thought yeah, my husband like Dwight Schrute from the office was the only person who liked beets. You actually mm. eat those? I love them. Wow. Yeah, we put them, okay. we put olive oil on them and put them in the oven for like, I think 45 minutes and they come out and they are just like ridiculously tender and we put salt and pepper on them and they're really, really okay. delicious. Okay, you got my attention. I was judging you at first, but now I'm, I'm mm -hmm. kind of on the fence. No, my husband's a huge gardener. So yeah, the series will be great for him. He'll love this. <laughs> yeah. So in this message, you gave us two things to consider. He's, you said, first, we have to be cautious because we love in all of this, I'm, I'm as bad as the, the next person. We'd love to be like, oh, that person's bad. Mm. This person's good. And you're like, wait, hold on. Why do we need to be sort of cautious when we're, can I say, judging a mm. person's spiritual condition? Yeah. Yeah. I think the tricky part is what's the difference between someone who's weak and someone who's fake? <sighs> yeah. You know, is it a, is it a real genuine struggling Christian who's just, I mean, you saw them in their greatest weakness, or is this a person who claims to be a person of faith and they're really not. And the reason you saw them in their weakness is because that's what they are. Mm -hmm. There is no fight, no desire to do what's right in their heart. And the line between those two from an outward perspective is often uh, if, if repentance and faith are invisible things then how can you look at a crowd of people and pick who's repentant and faithful? Yeah. You know, two people get drunk. They, they get caught up in the moment. One, an hour later, will think, darn it, darn it, darn it, darn it, darn it. And the other one will think, woo, yeah, Friday. Right. But you can't see that when you're sitting at the bar and everyone's taking a, taking a shot. Um, people are gossiping about someone who's not in the room. One, one is just going to feel immediately convicted, maybe even in the conversation, but you, you can't always yeah. see that. There's no, I would say there's no like repentometer from <laughs> red, yellow, and green on a person's forehead. And so because of that, this idea of, of judging, rebuking, figuring out who's a real Christian and who isn't, that's really tricky business. Um, mm -hmm. And God wants us to do our best, but the the parable definitely makes us cautious. Like before you run in like the all-knowing judge of heaven and hell in the universe. Let's just realize that in this life, sometimes the difference between unbelievers and believers isn't immediately obvious.
Yeah. And Jesus words too, I think when he was talking about the commandments and he was like, you know, yeah, you haven't committed adultery, but if you've lusted after a woman, Mm -hmm. you've committed adultery in your heart. You know, I think that's another point that we have to consider as Christians is, you know, I can, I can appear very good to people. Mm. You know, people who are talking to me, people who are watching my life, they can be like, "Mm, she is good. She's Mm. good without realizing that a, the internal struggle and be the times that I don't have the struggle internally. <laughs> like, yes. you know, I just had a situation last night. Like, there was something pretty juicy that happened at work. And let me tell you, for 45 minutes afterwards, there was a coworker that I was like, is there any way I can text this without it being gossip? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, I would so yeah. like to talk about this situation <laughs> with someone else. Like, get it. And then I'm like, Amber, hmm. stop. This is yeah. nobody's news. This is yeah. you were entrusted with this from the person who went through it. Like mm. this is not, but that the struggle was there. Yeah. Like, yeah, I am not any better than the person who immediately dials the phone. Sure. I'm in the struggle. And that time, that time I did the right thing. That yeah. doesn't mean the next time I will. Yeah. It doesn't mean I haven't done the wrong thing mm. a million times before. Mm. It, it just means that there is a struggle with all of us, with our thoughts, our, our actions, our words. And, and we can't see, we can't see what's going on inside your yeah. head. Yeah. We can't yeah. see if you're like super godly pastor, Mike, or if you're yeah. doing the struggle like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. My wife and I talk about this. We have very different personalities. I think my, my sins are very obvious. I'm a verbal mm-hmm. processor, so I'll probably say it and everyone will hear it. I'm like, Ooh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mike's a sinner. We see, we all see that. <laughs> But, you know, Kim is more like this intellection, pondering things, chewing on them. And so her, she would say, I sin just as much as Mike does. But she often tells me most of my sins happen in my head. Most of your sins happen with your mouth. Yeah. So one is more visible to a a crowd than others, but we're both, you know, sinners who are struggling against our own temptation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was talking to someone over the weekend who I just met. And she was telling me that her ex-husband told her after the divorce that he had secretly been wishing that she would die in mm. multiple different ways. So he wouldn't have to divorce her. So wow. he like, like from the outside, nobody saw this, right? Yeah. From the yeah. outside, he's hanging on. Yep. But secretly he's going like, God, if you could just make a car accident happen or just some way for me to get away from this person or whatever. So I think, yeah, I I love that you tell us in this message, we have to be pretty cautious. You know, we don't know where people are. And sometimes the people who seem the worst, like you said, they go away and they're repentant. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like the two sons, the father had the two sons, the one said, no, I'm not going to do it. He goes away and he's like, well... Yep. No, I want to do it. Where yep. the other one's like, yep, yep, yep. First I'll, I'll go. And then he's like, no, I don't yep. want to. No follow through. Yeah. We great example. Be really careful. I mean, think of standing at the banks of the Jordan river. There's the Pharisees watching and there's the tax collectors and Roman soldiers. Who, who do you think is in the kingdom of God? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you, you probably wouldn't guess right. Cause when John the Baptist opens his mouth guided by the spirit, he flips the categories on us. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, just the life of Jesus should prove to us, maybe, maybe the line isn't right where you think it is. Maybe it cuts through hearts that only God can see. Yeah. Very good. You said something in the sermon that you said you would never probably said before. You're like, (laughs) I'm not sure 
I'm not entirely sure how to do this. And I'm open to suggestions. And, you know, this is a hard place to be. And, and you brought this up in this conversation, just, you know, there's a lot of gray space. We can think that these people, you, you mentioned someone who was living with her boyfriend at the time you went and saw him. And mm-hmm. it seemed like, you know, from the outside, you could say, eh, AB, you know, or, mm-hmm. or black, white. But mm-hmm. then as she started talking, she seemed repentant and da, 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 da. You know, there's a lot of parents and grandparents and even um, youth group leaders I'm thinking about who's, who, who we watch these people who are in our care, these mm-hmm. young people, I'm using young people right now, but you just can't see, you know, you, sometimes they look like a weed. Sometimes they look like wheat <laughs> and we have to mm-hmm. remember the growing season is still going on, but yep. what, what advice do you have? to all of us really, who, you know, are struggling through this. Yes. Yeah. I've thought about that a lot. I, you know, use that example. And I, I think it applies to all of us, either ourselves or someone we know, like living together. Um, yeah. Is that a sign of, of rejection of God's view of things? Is that a gray area that, you know, is open because there's complex situations? Um, so I found myself as a pastor, like my, my job is not just to smile and tell you about God's love every Sunday. And then you kind of make your own choices. I, the, the word of God that was given to me is meant to rebuke and correct and encourage and change things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the tension where as a spiritual leader, as a, a parent or, a, you know, even a, a fellow Christian, you can't just say, well, hey, you know, just read the Bible and figure it out. Like we have to have boundaries and standards where we say to people, no, 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 that's not what true Christians do. And so that's the tension of Jesus's story, right? So here's what I'm kind of workshopping. That's the wrong word. Here's what I'm trying and see if it works any better. I'm trying to say to people what I know to be objectively true. And I'm just trying to let that objective passage work on their heart. So for example, do I have a passage that says thou shall not live together? I do not. There isn't one. But Hebrews 13:4 does says does say marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. So what can I say to a couple from my church? I can say listen, I I can't find a passage that says do or don't, but here's what I can say. God wants you to honor marriage. Sex is a gift. It's a beautiful gift that God gives to married couples and to no one else. And if you think that you can do that and be a Christian, he will judge you. He will judge you. And I don't want you to be judged. So whatever you have to do, 1 Corinthians 6, to flee from sexual immorality, that's what you should do. Um, If it was me, I don't think I could share the same bathroom and bedroom with that woman because I'm attracted to her, right? So that's objectively true. Hebrews 13, four. I just want to put that out there instead of, you know, debating on semantics and wisdom and offense and all these other things. Um, so I, I found myself like, what's the rock solid scriptural truth that is just so clear that I can put it in front of all of our eyes and let that do the judging instead of Mike, who can't read people's hearts do the judging. And I think you've done such a beautiful job of explaining this. I think the last couple of interviews we've had, just you talking about letting God be God overall. I mean, hmm. if you're going to let God be God overall, then get married. Because hmm. I mean, that's, that's clearly, <laughs> that's clearly the route, you know, he would have you take, 
if if you plan a committed relationship, you know, if you're just screwing around till the next best thing comes along, then we have a much different discussion to have as to, you know, should you even be in this relationship and do you need to move out? Da, 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 da. Yeah. But um, let God be God of all. And, and I, why I must give up my treasures, why I must give up my convenience, why I must give up the pleasures that I'm partaking of right now to follow God um, because he's worthy, Yeah. yeah you know, sounds- and it's not easy. Yeah. When has it ever been easy? You know, we yeah. were just so my poor son is um, going to have a year of advice from me, you know, because <laughs> he's getting married. And so I'm trying to take every opportunity to just remind him that, you know, when my husband and I got married, we moved into a house that hadn't been, it was a 1955 house that hadn't been, you know, cosmetically changed in like 25 years. And there were mm. cracks in the ceilings and and, and we didn't have money for a bed for about six weeks after we got married. We slept mm. on sleeping bags in our living room and we <laughs> yes. were absolutely thrilled to be mm. married. You know what I mean? So, and I tell my son that I'm like, just honor God, you know, mm. just get married. Don't wait till you have the money to get married. Mm. Don't wait till things seem perfect, like honor God and he'll be faithful. And that doesn't mean that you'll be able to afford, you know, this huge house. It it means you'll Mm. have a roof over your head. Like you'll have what you need in that season and he'll be faithful to give you. And besides, I mean, like, I'm going to let the kids starve. You know what I mean? (laughs) Mm. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Let God be God overall. You know what I love about all this conversation as we kind of land the plane here, Amber, is that I have felt some like super joyful, emotional touching moments like of our moms and God mm-hmm. being for us. And then there's been these times when it, it just felt almost too heavy. Like we're smashing listeners in the face with repentance and give, give up your life and follow Jesus. And I think, I think when I actually read the parables of Jesus, that's exactly what he did. I, I just think he made the most absurdly awesome promises of treasure and being with God forever. And I think he challenged people in such profound ways to give up control and follow him. So I'm, as I try to kind of gauge the emotion, I can't picture people listening at home, but like, Oh yeah. If you're feeling the highs and the lows, welcome to the Christian faith. Yeah. Like this is what following Jesus is. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Amber. Um, Obviously as people were listening today, they were also working on some jingles. So next month when we come back, (laughs) I'll probably forget this challenge, but for now, I think it's going to be awesome. Um, Yeah, if you're listening and you love to dig in even deeper, so something pretty cool is I had a chance to write a book that's called Stories That Will Change Your Life. And it's an entire book based off of all these messages that I've studied and preached on the parables of Jesus. So it's as substantial as any book that I've ever written as far as word count goes. And if you really have this interest in the teaching of Jesus and one of the favorite ways that he loved to teach through parables, uh, this can be a great book to kind of dive in deeper with your faith. So just jump over to timeofgrace.org, look for stories that will change your life, and uh, we hope that's a blessing to you. Uh, Amber, before I land the plane and say goodbye, do you have any closing wisdom, thoughts, prayers, rebukes, promises, prophecies? Well, Mike, it's back to school time. So I just want to encourage moms, grandmas, aunts, uncles, teachers, pastors to be in prayer for our children our grandchildren, all the people in our care, um, just that, you know, they don't, they don't wander too far and that 
God keeps them close. And hmm. yeah, yeah, that's, that's where my heart is right now. It's a great prayer. My firstborn starts high school tomorrow. So Jesus, you said you were coming back soon. You better, you better. <laughs> I shouldn't lecture Jesus. <laughs> I need you. I'm not prepared for this, Lord. I didn't it's have a plan the B. Start. You just oh. wait. I can't wait to talk to you when she gets her license. Okay, okay. I'm okay. a firm believer they should give you a prescription for Valium when your child hits 15. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for giving us a couple extra minutes of your time. Uh, once again, if this podcast is a blessing to you, you know the things to do to support us. So if you want to like it, share it, comment, uh, we're super grateful for that. So thanks, Amber, for being here today, and we'll catch you next time on Behind the Series with Time of Grace.